in three, two, one. Personal branding is extremely important in today's competitive world. It allows us to differentiate ourselves from competitors and build trust with clients and employers. It helps us stand out, create opportunities, be memorable. Developing our personal brand can lead to higher salaries and new opportunities. It will help you build a positive reputation and achieve your goals. To understand how we can stand out from the crowd is branding expert, Emma Donovan. Hey, Emma, welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Thanks, Mike. Always great to to be here. Now, where are we speaking to you from today? I am based in Cape Town, South Africa. It is spring for us, so I've got a beautiful sunny day out my window. You can probably see the light coming in. Beautiful, beautiful place. And we're really delighted to have you to talk about branding and personal branding and the importance of it. But before we go there, how did we get there, Emma? I know you're an entrepreneur. You started developing a few things 15, 20 years ago. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it was a very winding path for me. When I finished studying, I actually had a full year traveling around the world, just meeting people, working in different places and getting a sense of of what was out there. And from there, got into marketing and did that for about a decade before I realized branding was my sweet spot, what I was more passionate about. And COVID was the real kind of instigator for me in terms of realizing people needed to leverage their personal brands more than ever before but Mm. to do it in a more authentic way. So I think there was a lot of people who panicked or who needed to pivot quickly. And with that came, yeah, a lack of confidence or or a lack of putting themselves forward in in the best way. So that is where my focus shifted. Nice. People have a difficulty with that, don't they? They have trouble talking about themselves. They often feel it's bragging. They often feel that, hey, maybe I won't say that. There should be a strategy and a process to brand. And branding and personal branding has evolved. Most of us are familiar with corporate branding, product brands, and all the different market. We really don't understand the difference between personal branding and, let's say, reputation. What is the difference? Yeah, great question. I think for me, reputation is how others see you, whereas your personal brand is what you choose to share. So it's a lot more intentional. It's around saying, how do I curate my story in a way that's real, but also that I can yeah, kind of shape what I'm putting out there. So yeah, I'd be interested on your thoughts on that one. It's a, a good question. Yeah, it's interesting. I think reputation is how people have experienced you, right? And they hear about you and you get a good reputation. So you get the word of mouth. I call it advocacy. Is the market talking about you? And for years, we built our business primarily not, we didn't even have to market. It was always on word of mouth. We just did a good job. So we always use it as the more you speak, the more you speak, or the more you train, the more you train. Just because people are happy and delighted, they all talk about you. So how do we create that advocacy? How do we move it from commodity to an experience where people do want to share it and talk about it because traditional marketing it's kind of done people understand it they don't trust it there's not necessarily authority or credibility where i think your approach with personal branding that's kind of the approach you take isn't it absolutely building credibility and doing it over time realizing that you've got to build trust and rapport with your audience you've got to tell a story and i think the storytelling aspect around how do you resonate with your audience and how do you make it a two-way conversation those are all things that i think are really important around building a brand or we like to say investing in your brand because your brand's already there it's just whether you choose to invest and where it goes next 
Yeah, you have an experience, you have a brand, and whether you like it or not, it's whether you've been yeah. intentional in your design. You believe, and your partner, believe you founded your company a number of years ago, but to work with clients on developing a process and taking people through a process, because a lot of people don't know, there isn't brand consistency. They're not sure of their mission. They're not sure of their purpose. You've actually developed a process, haven't you? that you'll take them through that the end result is a very clear vision of who they are, what they are, and who their target markets are? Absolutely. So we typically spend about six months with the client and we try and get a good balance between what matters to them and how they show up, as well as very practical, like what does that look like? Where am I going to put my brand out there? So people often associate a brand with their digital presence or footprint. But for us, it's a lot more holistic. It's how do you show up for your team if you're delivering a talk or being interviewed on a podcast? So it's really looking at brand holistically from what you wear and say to what you feel and how you translate that. So we work with yeah, a number of kind of consultants and specialists to bring the package full circle for the client. So you get to work with a lot of different companies and individuals and entrepreneurs and organizations. And some of these people love to do things themselves. They've got their own egos or they got their own perspectives or they believe they understand it and know it. What are the biggest challenges or mistakes that people, professionals, entrepreneurs make when it comes to personal branding? So I think quite a common one is confusing quality and quantity. So for me, quality content always trumps sort of feeling like you need to just get stuff out. So that would be a big one. And then an interesting one for me is that almost all of our clients feel some kind of imposter syndrome, and that often holds them back from sharing authentically. So a lot of the work we do is just turning that into a growth mindset and getting them to tap into where their strengths are, how they add value, and how they can share that again in a way that's not arrogant, but rather adding value. So those would be two that we see quite a bit. Sure. Imposter syndrome, we see it a lot. And we see it within the different genders, too. For instance, particularly, I've seen it with women entrepreneurs that we've got to work with. They're way harder on themselves than the men. The men sometimes will, you know, say they've conquered the world, they've done this, they've done that. They don't suffer as much from that imposter syndrome, but we do see it within the different genders. And we also see it within the different generations. We've got five generations of buyers out there. And so obviously, the more tenured, the more secure, if you're a baby boomer, you know, that's kind of where I fit. We're a little more secure. We've been around for a little bit. We've got some experience under our belt. If you're new and you're a millennial or a Gen X, Gen Y, you don't have that confidence. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you run into mm-hmm generationally you see it as well as within the different genders? Absolutely. I mean, there's always exceptions. And I think a lot of it comes from the kind of confidence that's been instilled in you from your mentors, people that you surround yourself with, and just having that kind of community that is supportive, I think plays a big role. But absolutely, I think confidence comes with experience a lot of the time. And sort of staying in your lane. I think if you're talking about something you're knowledgeable about and passionate about, it's so much easier than if you feel out of your depth. So if you're in a new role, for example, the imposter syndrome might creep back in. Interesting. You talk about the essence of a brand. What is essence? Why is that important? And how do we discover it? So why it's important is I think a lot of people want to jump straight into how am I putting my brand out there to the world? But at DAPA, we feel if you don't know what you stand for, then you don't have a solid foundation. So we need a rock solid foundation to use as a springboard to get your brand out there to the world. And in terms of how you discover it, we've got a a whole bunch of exercises. But if I had to sort of summarize, it would be actually pressing pause and taking some time and creating space to think about what does your perfect average day look like? What are the values that you align with and shape how you show up? What really matters? And another big one for me is what is enough? It's Mm -hmm. a really tricky question to answer. And that can be in all aspects of your life. But if you're constantly striving 
you're not actually as present as you could be in where you are now. So mm. that's some of what makes up the brand essence. Interesting. So you'll go through and design that perfect day, that perfect week, the perfect client. Here's what we stand for. You bring authenticity and authenticity has crept into the personal branding space. I remember where it was and people would just say whatever. And that was marketing. Why did authenticity you know, become such a big part of it? And why is it so important in our process? So I feel without it, you don't have that solid foundation. So again, it's that feeling of you can't speak with confidence if it's not coming from a place of authenticity. And authenticity looks different to everyone. So it's about figuring out what's authentic to you. Like, how do you show up in a way that just feels natural? I often describe it as like, are you swimming with the current or swimming upstream? If it's really feeling difficult, then it may not be the authentic. And I think there's a kind of, you can have a layers to authenticity, the same with vulnerability. So you may just initially take off a little bit of that mark, but it may take a bit more time to really be comfortable in your skin. I think that's another way to explain it. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Emma Donovan. Do people have a hard time going through that process and feeling maybe too vulnerable in that moment? Or do you have to get them over that edge? Because I know you don't just give them the answers. You draw out those answers. You take them through a process to where they're co-creating it with you and designing it with you. You're basically guiding them through the process. Do they have trouble sometimes exposing that authentic self or maybe they don't have a real purpose or passion that they can link onto and you help them discover that? Absolutely. I think a lot of people get um, quite far in life without having clarity on a passion or a purpose. And it's our process is it's really asking the right questions. So we don't have the answers because they are so unique to each person. In terms of whether people feel comfortable, I'm always amazed how quickly people do feel safe and open up if you create the right environment. So we set sort of something right up front of how we're going to communicate. It's obviously confidential, but really going back to what I said earlier about creating space, we often, even if it's on Zoom, if it's in Cape Town, great, we've got clients all over the world, we will ask them to put do not disturb on, go and make a cup of tea, put their feet up. So just create that sort of slower pace, which is often so difficult to find. And I think a lot of people feel guilty for slowing down. So it's giving them permission to pause and to reflect. And that often opens the floodgates. It's amazing how much people share once you do that. Well, you're creating a space and a safe place that they can intentionally work on their business instead of working in their business, right? So it's getting clarity, I think, really around that. What is it that we do? Often I'll ask audiences, you know, when I'm talking to an audience, say it's an insurance company or banking finance, what kind of business are you in? What's your business? And they always go 
finance business, banking business. But I go, no, no, no. That's what you do. That's not the business you're in. That's not what we're buying. We're buying peace of mind. So you're really getting down to the nuts and bolts. So for instance, in our world, Becoming Preferred, our podcast, it's all about helping you become the emotional favorite. Everything to make you better as an individual. So anything that kind of fits within that umbrella, it fits as far as a topic, not just sales or not just marketing, but anything that makes you better as an entrepreneur. You talk about a process and you work typically three to six months, depending. Why does the process take that long? What if you know we're impatient? I'm sure you run across entrepreneurs and go, oh man, I don't want to wait six months in order to have something come out the other end there. Why does it take so long? So we used to do it in three and we felt like we were rushing our clients. So we've made six the average, but it is completely tailored to each person. So if they are taking a sabbatical, for example, and have time to just invest and get stuck in, we can do it a lot quicker. I feel people are often over-optimistic in terms of timeframes. So they're like, I'm excited. I've set aside the time, but then there's a big deal on the table at work. Or there is like, you know, a family situation. We never want to rush them through it. We want to do it at a pace where we build momentum, but don't rush them. I personally love doing it in three months. I just feel like a more intense process is really powerful, but I've learned to be patient and to let them set the pace within boundaries. So as long as we keep them on track. So that is the, the full process. And then our online course is designed to be three months. So if you're a keener, you can attack it and get on it. Now, obviously, many of your clients have businesses that are existing already. They're already running, they're operating. So this is kind of done in the background. And is there a number of hours that one should set aside for this? Like as far as setting time aside to work on it, I think that's important. When they engage with your team, like how much time is it a weekly process that they're meeting with your coaches and your team? Tell us a little more about the process. Yeah. So it again, varies depending on what they put in. Typically, you'd spend two to three hours a week. And some of that would be contact time with us and some would be, we've got a mix of tutorials, videos, calls, worksheets. So the reflective part is very variable, you know, sitting down to articulate your values and what they mean to you. If you've done something similar before, we'll be quick. If it's your first time doing it, it, it takes a bit longer, but we keep the contact time to a minimum. The program was designed for busy entrepreneurs and leaders. So the idea is it's a really strong framework. And there's a lot to think about, but actual time at your screen or with us is is as streamlined as possible. When you're determining your audience, what you stand for, what you're passionate about, what your purpose is, your social media obviously comes up. We have, you know, 19 or I think maybe 21 channels of communication now, and your audience can be on many of those. Is there one social media platform that kind of covers it all? Should we be on all of them or just primarily where our audience is? So yeah, I think your last sentence is my, my main answer. It's where your audience is and where you feel you can add value. I feel LinkedIn is probably the most relevant business platform, business networking right. platform, but then it depends on your brand. So if you have a visual brand, for example, a photographer, um, I think that Instagram is incredible. And I think video content is also really powerful. So if you can share a version of what you're doing in video format, having a YouTube channel, for example, is a great addition. I do feel that clients tend to spread themselves too thin and then copy paste their content from one platform to another. Whereas I feel it should be tailored slightly to suit the platform and the way the audience wants to engage with it. Interesting. You take them through a process and a lot of people want to know what to post. Like I struggle with this sometimes. It's, you know, what would be of interest here? What are some of the top issues of the day or within a specific group or vertical or target market? So 
you call them content pillars, I believe, and you help create content pillars. Explain that. What are content pillars and how should we apply them? So content pillars are buckets or themes that you have typically three to five. And they're really helpful when you don't know what to write about because you can go back to the drawing board and go, okay, what are the three to five things that I am knowledgeable about, but also interested in, and then I can add value in. And the thinking behind having three to five is that you're not always posting about the same thing. So just like you said, you don't just talk about sales and marketing. It's a similar concept of, okay, well, what else am I interested in that's still relevant to what I do? my audience may resonate with. We apply a kind of general 80-20 rule where 80% of your content is adding value and only 20% is selling in terms of personal content, particularly on LinkedIn. And so we'll weave that into it and say, okay, well, if 80% of it is adding value, what are the themes and topics that you can do that with credibility? And once you've got your pillars, you then can just have a whole list of potential topics under each one. And then they can be seasonal, they can be linked to life events, they can be, you know, depending what stage your business is at, but there's just always something to fall back on that, you know, you can can have a look at. Is there a cadence to posting and a length of posts that is kind of ideal? I'll write an article, which they don't seem to read a lot of articles, but then I'll make posts off the article and drive them back to the article or a hashtag or whatever the case is. Is there recommendation there? Like how often should we be doing this? Yeah. So there's a lot of conflict research in my personal opinion is two to three times a week is ideal if you've got quality content to share i loved what you mentioned about writing an article and then breaking it down into posts so long-form content that can be bite-sized pieces there may be a little video clip to sort of teaser the content but really getting that variety in. and then keeping time zones in mind is an important one so in south africa we know if we want to talk to a US audience, we need to post in the afternoon. Whereas if we want to talk to an Australian audience, we'd obviously need to post in the morning. So keeping your audience in time zone. And then times of day vary hugely for for audiences, you know, just thinking and testing it. So you can read so many articles on what's the best time of day to post, but I really believe it's about trial and error, seeing what works for you and creating in terms of length. I think again, it's like if you've got value to share, you can add an extra paragraph, but typically short and concise bullet points are great short paragraphs and that first line of a LinkedIn post is really important because often that's all people are going to see and then they need, you know, have the read more option. People tend to watch videos more than they will read things. Do you recommend using videos in posting as well? Absolutely. I think videos are great. Short videos as well. You all got limited attention spans and a great feature is LinkedIn Live where you can actually have a conversation between two people as a sort of 15 minute LinkedIn Live. You can create an event for it. So you can invite people to it ahead of time and a great way to launch a product or just have almost like a a mini podcast series. Interesting. When it comes to the credibility and authority, a lot of people, and we've talked about imposter syndrome, a lot of people don't feel like they have the credibility or authority, but that's where articles and posts establish that rather quickly, don't they? Absolutely. And I think if you can be featured on a podcast or in a publication that has credibility and already has that audience, I think that's a great way to bolster that quickly so that you're not just speaking to your existing audience. You can reach a larger pool of people. Sure. A lot of entrepreneurs want to scale their businesses and build teams. And your company, Adapter, you put a lot of emphasis on their biggest assets, which are their team players or their A-team players. What do you mean by an A-team player? How do we find them? How should we be utilizing them in our brand? So A-team players for us are people that if you had the opportunity to rehire them, you would. I think it's a nice, simple way to think about it. We've got a product called a culture deck, 
And the reason that we conceptualized that was to say, how do you motivate and inspire your A-team players and attract more? And a big part of that for me is culture. So it's like, what is the company brand? How is it portrayed? And how do people resonate with it? So we don't go in and try and change the culture, but more articulate what's there and show what it's about. I think it's a great retention tool, but also a way to attract more A-team players. But yeah, that who would you hire, rehire, who do you feel adds value from a cultural fit as well as a performance base. So I think the combination of the two is important when it comes to an A-team player. And involving them, and you do, like I noticed a lot of your blogs are written by your team members, which begs the question as far as personal brand and maybe professional brand. So you have Dapper, for instance, as your brand for your organization with your partner. And then there's the Emma brand, Emma Donovan brand. Do you maintain a separate website for Emma and then, you know, your partner, or do you bring that all under that one roof, so to speak? So in my case, I don't have my own website, but it's something I do encourage clients to do, especially if they're part of multiple businesses or ventures. I think it's a great way for people to find out more about them as an entrepreneur rather than linked to a specific company. We often say your brand, your personal brand is the one thing you'll have for your whole life, whereas you don't know necessarily when you're going to exit businesses or you know have multiple right. businesses. So I do think it's useful to have that. And on your point about getting our team to write blog posts, absolutely, it's a big part of our strategy to empower our team to develop their own brands, knowing they might not be with us forever and wanting to help them with their career trajectory and their professional brands to humans. Yeah. So you can have your personal brand and you can have your business brands and use the same formula probably for each of those because each might have a different audience. You might have, say you have three different businesses, you could have three different stories or three different missions, three different purposes. You call them, you know, why, what, and how. How important is why figuring out the why, figuring out the what and what the how is, and maybe give a definition of what you mean by each of those three. I think figuring out the why comes back to that brand essence. So we really like to start there. If you know why you're doing something, it's a lot easier to find the motivation. I think the what we've covered quite a bit, you know, are you doing podcasts? Are you doing keynotes? Are you, are you doing your LinkedIn content? And the how I think is where you can really put that unique spin on it and differentiate yourself. So you can do things in a novel way. You can take storytelling and make it your own. So I think there's a lot of room there for creativity and to own your story. So I think all three are important, but definitely starting with the why. I'm glad to see you focus on that. I've always believed that the best product doesn't always win. The best service doesn't always win. The best story wins. And so always. you can have an average product. You can have two products, one that's exceptional, one that's average, but the best story is going to win the day. And why is that? Why is story so important? So when you're unfolding that personal narrative or developing it or for your organization, it obviously forms connections because we're emotional beings, right? We want to connect. We want to resonate with that product, with that service or with that individual. Why does it work like that? Thank you. Summed it up with the word connection. I think that's at the heart of it for me. So being part of a community or resonating with something is just human nature. I think it's something a lot of people are seeking or craving more of. So if you resonate with a story, you are much more likely to intuitively trust the person or the brand. And I think it's something that is consistent across personal brand and company brand is that storytelling aspect. Now you work towards and tell your story towards, say, a designated vertical or niche market. Can you have more than one niche, more than one segment? And should you be adjusting your story for each of those? In other words, I don't want to be too broad with this. I want to get specific. I want to niche down on this, but can I cover more than one niche? Absolutely. I think the core of your story should stay the same. 
And then the way you share it, the examples you give, the context you provide, that can all be for a particular a vertical or, or segment of your audience. But I do think consistency is important because if you're telling a completely different story and then someone happens to be in both your audiences or, you know, the world is right. so small, they, it's very easy to come across the two versions. So I think as long as they don't contradict each other and they're based on the same set of values and same like core being. Right then makes sense. Well, then that's why like with becoming preferred, I'll work in real estate with the real estate companies. I'll work in insurance, finance, banking companies, transportation. It's how do you become preferred? And most of them don't talk to each other. So the insurance person's not communicating with the realtor and because usually you're getting the referrals within the vertical and some are better verticals than others, right? So it's really, you know, getting that story down. Talk about, you know, the process itself. So if I want to do this myself, or if I want to engage, I know you're offering an online course and tell us about that program. The online course was recently launched as a way to make the DAPA product more accessible, to make it available to more people. We're really excited about it because it's really taking everything we've learned over the last couple of years and transforming it into an online course that you can do at your own pace. I think how interactive it is, is incredible. So just the video tutorials, we have created a character called Sophie. So you can actually watch Sophie do Loom videos of some of the, the sections. You can read her credo and her values and how she is telling her story. And we've had lovely feedback that that is really useful. You've kind of got this friend along with you for the journey. And that was our way of making it as similar as possible to the original kind of one-on-one version of the product. And for someone who wants to do it themselves or they're just starting out, it's a great price point too and how you can deliver. I mean, there's hours of good content. I know they get workbooks with it and you help them develop it from, you know, step one all the way through, you know, A through Z. Then you work with the corporate clients as well. Who's your ideal profile client that is like, hey, this is in our wheelhouse. We can help you. So we've got, we're so lucky. We have incredible clients. And I think what they have in common is really wanting to work on their brands. So I'm never having to sell the idea to them. They are carving out time for it and they see the value. I think they're also really often passionate about their leadership team benefiting from the process. So we'll typically work with founder or the directors of a company and then filter that down to their entire leadership team so that there's that ripple effect through the company. They're understanding the value of it. They're building their own brands. They're supporting each of their teams to do it. And that's really rewarding when we see that sort of company-wide impact as opposed to just the founder. So we do that in different ways, often with workshops rather than the one-on-one process. But an ideal client would be someone who wants to invest in their team as well as their own brand. Right. And it's getting everybody on the bus heading in the same direction, right? You've talked about culture and culture is important. It has to become cultural. This is how we roll and you know whose day can we make better today or whatever our mission is going to be what about transformation so can you give us an example of maybe a client or two where they were struggling or here's what they were experiencing then they went through your process they had a transformation and here was the outcome the outcome that you know maybe they were trying to get do you have a story or two in mind yeah yeah i can share two quick stories i called jono had you know very successful kind of corporate business and we took him through the DAPA process and he realized he actually had wanted to be an author and he wanted to be coaching. And over a period of sort of 18 months, he has completely transformed his business, but also his life in terms of the satisfaction and feeling of being aligned to his purpose. And there were a number of factors that led to that. But I think sort of really like digging a bit deep on his personal brand was one of the things that triggered the change. So that's been been incredible to see. And I think 
yeah, another example, client Jill, where similar thing, very sort of successful in her role in a scaling company and realized that she needed to redefine what success looked like for her. So she was chasing the promotion, but not actually enjoying the role and leaning into the kind of fame, for want of a better word, associated with it rather than what actually mattered to her. So kind of shifting gears, staying in the same industry, but just re-looking at what success looked like. So both examples where they came in not having that intention. So they didn't come to us and say, we want to change. They just said, we want to develop our brands. So often things come out of it that you not expecting, which can be yeah, daunting, but really exciting. It's an interesting process. You know, I went through the process a couple of decades ago and I was in my late thirties, actually, when I started my career as a professional speaker and trainer and my coaches took me there and we developed a process for what we call the brand character, which I'm sure you work with. So who is Michael Vickers? Who is this character? And at the time, I think I was like 35, 36, but we designed the colors of the clothes I would wear on stage. We looked at, you know, he's kind of a little bit rebellious. He rides his Harleys. So all my photography was me wearing my black outfit on a Harley business suit or whatever, but that commonality, being a tad rebellious, here's what he likes, here's what, you know, everything from the slides, the design. So that whole brand experience, that whole brand character permeated through everything we do. So when we go to do something, we say, is this something that we would do? Is this something the character would do? Is this in alignment with our ethics, with our values, with our purpose? And then you have to keep refining it. So it's a matter of going, all right, where do I want to go now? And so now I'm ready to go to a next stage as we evolve into leadership more. Maybe so now it's refocusing that and then again, recreating the content. So you can do this multiple times. And like I say, I know you coach through your process. What's the best way for folks to get hold of you? They want to get hold of you and maybe look at the course. I know the website's become dapper.com and we'll have all of your contact information in the show notes. But is there any other way they should communicate with you? website is great. It's got all the details there. And my LinkedIn is Emma Donovan hyphen Daffer. So they're very welcome to connect with me directly there. Awesome. Well, Emma, this was very interesting. And for those who are interested in developing their personal brands, their brand story, their process that again, they can use this as the foundation for everything they do in business. We encourage them to reach out to you. And I know you've been very helpful, lots of good strategies and ideas there. Thank you, Mike. It's been great to chat. My pleasure. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.